0: Hello and welcome to the Rikakuru Podcast. In this episode, we have Dr. Kenneth Wong, an assistant professor at the School of Science. So Ken, you're trying to measure how quickly the universe is expanding. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Sure. In astronomy, we have a pretty good understanding of where the universe uh, began, how it began. Uh, so most people have probably heard of the Big Bang. It's this rapid expansion um, very early on. Uh, of everything in the universe. And the universe is continuing to expand today. Everything is moving away from everything else. And based on our observations, uh, we've been able to come up with a very good understanding of how the universe should be behaving in its expansion. Um, So based on everything we know about physics, uh, we can actually predict things like the expansion rate of the universe and you know the this understanding seems to match very well with observations so far recently though in the last few years there's there have been some new measurements um made by a group uh, who have been looking at uh, supernovae so these are exploding stars, and uh they use these supernovae to measure the expansion rate of the universe directly so um, the expansion rate, we usually use this variable called the Hubble constant, or h naught. So it's capital H with uh, a subscript zero on it. So we call it h naught, And um, this, is, this describes how fast the universe is expanding today. And the supernova group seems to calculate a value of H0 naught is a little faster than what we would have calculated from our best understanding of physics. Um, it's it doesn't seem like a big difference. It's maybe about 10%, a little less than 10% difference. But considering how precise the measurements are, it's actually quite significant, and there's a large disagreement there. This H
0: naught, the value that you talk about, gives us how fast the universe is expanding. So if if the H naught value is higher, then the universe is expanding faster. Yes. And if it's lower, it's it expanding slower. That's correct.
1: Okay. There's been this recent controversy between these two values, the lower value, which we would predict from our calculations based on um, you know, the Big Bang and all that. And this more recent uh, measurement made by this group using supernovae. So it could be that there is some problem with one or both me- um, methods. Uh, we can't completely rule that out. Or it could be that there's something incomplete about our understanding of physics, and we would need some new, essentially a revolution in physics to explain this discrepancy. So one of the key things today is we need to verify that this discrepancy is actually real. So what I've been working on is, um, I've been working uh, with this team called TD Cosmo, and uh, we use a completely independent method to try to measure h naught. So um TD Cosmo uses these objects called gravitational lenses. Um, a gravitational lens is when you have some massive object, say a galaxy, for example, and it happens to line up perfectly with some bright background object, maybe another galaxy or in some cases um, what we call a quasar. It's basically a, a massive black hole that is shining very brightly because it's uh, a lot of matter is falling onto it very quickly. So very, very bright objects. And when you have this um, chance alignment, you get what's called a gravitational lens, where the light from that background object will get bent by the intervening galaxy, um, and you'll see multiple images of that background object um, around the galaxy. Using this method, um, we can calculate H-naught in a manner that is completely independent of um, both the previous methods I mentioned. The the observations based on the Big Bang, and the observations based on supernovae.
0: You mentioned there was a method for measuring the speed earlier. We know how we typically measure speed on the Earth. For example, a speedometer in your car can measure speed. How do you actually measure speed of expansion of the universe using these earlier methods that you mentioned?
1: Yeah, so that's a very good question. so uh, so essentially, to calculate H naught, you need to know um, speed and distance. So speed, uh, you would think normally distance would be easy to measure and speed would be difficult. But in astronomy, it's the opposite. Speed is very easy to measure because what you can do is um, you can look at the light from any object and uh, pass it through uh, a prism or a spectrograph. Uh, and what you're doing is you're breaking the light up into sort of its constituent colors, and uh, so we call this the spectrum of the object. And in that spectrum, there are certain features like very bright lines or um, lines that uh, are what we call absorption lines, where it's like black, no color. And those come about due to specific elements. So, you know, hydrogen will have certain characteristic lines, um, helium will have other lines, and so on. All the elements have their own lines that we can measure in a lab here on Earth. And when an object is moving away from us at some speed, the faster it's moving away from us, um, those lines get shifted towards the red end of the spectrum. So we call that redshift. So these lines, like maybe we see a line that corresponds, for example, to um, calcium, um, and we expect it to be at a particular um, wavelength or color, but we actually see it redder than expected. We can calculate based on that difference um, how far it's been redshifted, we can calculate how fast that object is moving away from us.
0: Right. So essentially, you, you're like a policeman measuring the speed of a moving car. And then depending on how fast the car is moving away, mm-hmm. the light rays that you shine from here and the ones that you get back are slightly um, shifted. And so based on that, you can...
1: Yeah, that's that's a good analogy. Um. So uh, sometimes when uh, so one analogy that 's often used is um the Doppler effect, where you know, if you 're standing on a road and you hear you know a car with a siren like an ambulance passing by you as it 's coming toward you it it sound the sound is higher pitched and as it 's going away from you it sounds like a lower pitch and that 's because the sound waves um, are kind of getting uh compressed and higher frequency as it 's coming toward you, and the opposite's happening when it 's moving away from you so um it 's a similar type of effect that's happening with uh, light in astronomical objects. Um, so this uh, redshift, shift, uh, or in some cases blue shift, if something happens moving toward you, um, this shifting of these features corresponding to specific elements tells you the speed of the object.
0: Right. So that's how they found out this H0 for uh, using these methods, right? But your method differ slightly from this uh method. Mm-hmm. What did you find out? Tell us more about that.
1: Yeah. So um so I mentioned these gravitational lenses and we specifically look at um galaxies that are gravitationally lensing background quasars. So these bright black holes that I have talked about. And um these These very massive black holes, uh, they're shining so bright because there's all this gas and dust that's falling onto it and um, being heated up very quickly. And um, they tend to flicker on short timescales because the rate at which it's uh, sucking in this gas and dust can change very rapidly. And so um, if we see a quasar get very bright or very faint all of a sudden compared to its normal um, brightness... Uh, And then you have a gravitationally lensed quasar where you have multiple images of this same quasar. What we see is that these brightening and dimming events don't happen at the same time. They're not simultaneous in the two or four images that we see. There is actually an offset. So we call this the time delay of the lens. And the reason there's a time delay is because the light that travels from the background quasar past the lensing galaxy to Earth um, those paths are slightly different um, in terms of their path length and also the um, the gravity well that they pass through as they go around the lens. So
0: you're measuring the light coming off from a supernova, which is an exploding star, correct? So imagine an apple in front of you. That's the supernova that is exploding, but in between you and the apple there's a big football for example and that's a different celestial object right and when you send light or when you're sensing light from this apple coming towards you observing through say a, a telescope on the earth this football's gravitational force is so high that it actually bends the light coming off from the apple yes right as a result of this you with On the Earth, see the football first, and then behind that is the supernova. And then, what you actually see in an image is the image of the light that was bent uh, by the by the football. Multiple
1: images of that background apple in this case, around the football.
0: Right. So now, how do you, from this multiple images, how do you correct for
1: it, and how do you find out the speed? yeah so um so I was talking about the time delay um, between the different images uh and that time delay um is related to h naught because the sp- uh the space that the light um, has to travel through between the source the lens and the observer um the distance it travels affects um, the lensing configuration you see and
0: Right. So in this case, the when you say gravitational lens, in our example, it's the football. That's the yes. gravitational lens, which is bending the light. Yeah. And based on the features of this bending, you can actually calculate H0.
1: It's a combination of the features you see and this time delay I mentioned. So you can measure the time delay by um, essentially looking at a gravitational lens every night with a telescope, And you just measure the brightness of each of the images uh, over time. And so you build up this uh, light curve, we call it. So every day you measure how bright is each of those two or four um, images. And then when you have several um, observing seasons worth of uh, brightness measurements, Mm -hmm. you can look at the shape of those light curves. You see, oh, okay, this one got brighter at this point, and then a few days later, this other image got brighter, and then a few days later, this other image got brighter. Um, you look for common features to determine how much you have to shift those curves to match up, and that tells you the time delay between the images. So with the time delay information and with the configuration of the images, um, that kind of tells you the strength of the lens. Um, that tells you something about the distance that the light had to travel, which is related to h naught.
0: Right. So essentially, these, uh, in our example, the Apple and the football, they are not just static, they're moving. And depending on how the the gravitational lensing looks like at different time points, we can figure out at what speed they're moving.
1: Um, sort of. So they are moving. Um on the time scales we're concerned with, uh, the motion of the lens and the background source is not significant enough to care about, but the, it's the distance the light has to travel through space from that faraway background source to Earth. Um, that distance depends on H0, and that affects those other quantities I mentioned, the time delay and the lensing um, configuration.
0: Okay, so was the value of h naught that you calculated, was it lower than the earlier... Known value or
1: higher? So, um, the value that we calculated uh, from our latest milestone analysis is in agreement with the faster value calculated by the supernova people. So, um, this does seem to uh, further exacerbate this tension in the Hubble constant that we call it.
0: What does this actually mean for physics and
1: why does it matter? Yeah, so um, if this turns out to be a real effect uh, that we can confirm that the universe is expanding faster than we calculate. Um, That would mean there's something we don't quite understand yet about um, cosmology, about uh, physics. It doesn't mean we have to completely throw out everything, but it means that there might be some missing piece um, or some incomplete part of uh, the theories we have at the moment. So uh, this is really important uh, in terms of our understanding of just the universe where it came from where it's going um it's a very fundamental question uh, for for physicists obviously anytime you come out with a result like this that you know would it have such huge implications uh, a lot of people are going to look at it and look for potential areas where things might have gone wrong. So when um, the supernova team I mentioned first came out with their result, you know, a lot of other scientists, a lot of other papers came out, you know, criticizing them, trying to see, you know, could this have gone wrong? Could this have gone wrong? And they seem to have uh, answered um, those pretty well. And uh, we went through the same thing when we first published this result. And, um, you know, we're trying to do our best to address all of the potential sources of uncertainty here Um, We have some new observations coming up uh, with the James Webb Space Telescope. So uh, this new space telescope that's been taking great images uh, for astronomy. Uh, And hopefully with these new observations, uh, we can address a lot of the issues that people have raised uh, and really solidify our confidence uh, in our result and confirm that our result really is correct.
0: Well. I hope that you'll be able to confirm what you measured is correct and that it will lead to new knowledge in physics soon. And thank you so much for your time today. Thank you.